Well, you may not know his name. You probably don't recognize his face. But chances are, Carol Spinney was one of your favorite people in the world when you were a kid. Carol Spinney is Big Bird. He also plays Oscar the Grouch, but he is Big Bird. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark, and this is the point where Stuart would normally say, and I'm me, but I'm actually flying solo on this episode, no pun intended. Stuart's actually ill, so he won't be taking part on episode 3, but rest assured he'll be back for episode 4 in a couple of weeks' time. I realise it's been quite a while since I gave you the last episode of Mark and Me, I think it was around 3 months ago with Corey Feldman and I realised I didn't want it to be much longer for you guys to have to wait to hear some more. So here I am today to give you episode 3, Birdman. Now on today's episode, I'm lucky enough to speak to Carol Spinney. Now you might be saying, who the hell is Carol Spinney? I've never heard of this guy. This guy, you will know. Any child out there, any adult out there, must have watched Sesame Street. He is Big Bird. Now the reason this interview came around was I was sat, as we all do, watching Netflix looking for something to watch and I saw this documentary called I Am Big Bird, The Carol Spinney Story. I sat there for nearly two hours watching this documentary and felt so emotional. The story it told really blew my mind. I felt so many feelings watching this documentary that I thought I really want to try and get some time with this guy and hopefully get to interview him for Mark and me. So thanks to my good friend Tracy, who I'm hopefully is listening. Thank you very much, Tracy. We got some time with the man himself. Now, Carol Spinney is an 83-year-old man. And what blows my mind is that he's been doing this part now of Big Bird for almost 50 years. The commitment that he gives to this character is sensational. He'll go out and do talk shows. He will do charity work. He'll turn up at hospitals and surprise kids that are ill with this character that we all have grown to love. He really is one of the most iconic characters in the world when you think about Big Bird. So for me to have some time and actually conduct this interview really was fascinating. I won't bore you with lots more, I'll get straight to the interview. So here is the interview with myself and Carol Spinney. So first of all, I just want to thank you for joining me today. I'm fine. I've recently watched your film. I was absolutely blown away by it. The amount of heart and soul in that film is absolutely magnificent. How was it to watch that back? Oh, I just watched it yesterday for the 23rd time. (laughs) And I still cried. Yeah, it's a (laughs) heart-wrencher. Yes. Take me back to the very start. So I, I was amazed by the fact that you actually were about to walk away from the role and quit. This this blew my mind. Can you imagine what ha- would have happened if you'd actually done that and followed through? Yes, I, I think it would have been a disaster for me and pretty bad for the show. I wasn't planned when they hired me, Jim Henson did. They didn't expect that he would become the character he became. He was just, Jim created the bird around my, my being, but then... He planned that he, Big Bird was going to be a silly goose of a character, a really kind of a, a goofy and silly bird, like a country yokel. I decided that it would be better use to have him be a child who happens to be a bird 
and live a, a little boy's life, except he didn't have any mommy or daddy. So I, when I suggest that in the middle of a show, they jumped at the idea. They said, this seems like a good idea. And uh, later on, they claimed it was their idea. <laughs> but uh, I don't, that didn't, that didn't last. And uh, I'm just being the character. I think I play him out of some of my own self-belief. Uh, I mean, when I watch the documentary, obviously the, the character that you play is very isolated. He's quite a solo character. And does that go back yes. to your childhood? Well, I guess it was because I didn't have any real true friends very much in that uh, they would often be my enemy and and be bullying me, you know, because I was rather vulnerable. So I didn't have a very pleasant time in school. They wouldn't choose me for any of the teams, but which I thought was a good thing because I could never catch a ball or throw one <laughs> very well. <laughs> It's quite a sad story, really. In a strange way, now that you've had this global fame and you've become one of the most iconic TV characters of all time, that must be quite a up yours to all those people that used to bully you. I, I often wonder what they think. I used to say, uh, sometimes they'll be sorry, because I, I had no doubt that I'd create a character that would be make me famous. I'm not really famous, because the character is much more famous than I but you are a huge part of that, and I don't believe there's anyone else in the world you could put in that suit that could do the job that you did. I frankly think it wouldn't be the same. Yes, that's true. And that's a huge compliment to yourself. It's, I, I, was, I was making notes while watching this documentary, and I, put, I don't think that there's ever been a puppet that can show emotion and come across that you relate to and have feelings for, like Big Bird. Yes, I think so. Uh, Jim Henson was such a busy, creative man. He wasn't really aware of what Big Bird had become. I remember when we did the, the full-length feature, Follow That Bird, I thought I, some of the songs were lovely, and uh, I learned them, and uh, I sang them for him when he came to Canada, where he made the film. And uh, I said, here's the songs I've learned, and which will be featured in the film. And uh, he said, oh, but that's not Big Bird's voice. He doesn't sound goofy. I said, well, he's not goofy anymore. He hasn't been for years. He's, he says, really? How come you change it? I said, I think it's much more useful this way. And he is. Uh, he, he was allowed to be a person. Because uh, he's a very complex character, whereas all the other puppets are either like cookies or, or think they're super strength, and, uh, and they're not like a super grover. He's always crash lands. He doesn't know how to really fly very well. Uh, like a super character. And then Big Bird's kind of a very real, basically a big human with feathers. Yes, I've often felt that the way he got used was that he was more human than the humans, because the humans were all kind of more formal grown-ups without that much character, you know, sort of strange characters. And I think that uh, it worked out pretty well. I still play them. At 40, 47 years, I've they played Big Bird, and I still play him. I've had some physical setbacks, like I got a, a, a concussion last February, which interfered with my walking. I have it's ruined my balance, so I only uh, I loop the voices, so the characters just move the beaks with the words in mind. Yeah, and then I I add the the, the sound of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch to uh, the the film, the video. 
So follow that bird is a film I recently watched, and I remember it as well as when I was growing up, and I used to I used to love that film. And as a kid, you'd watch a film again and again and again. You'd have a, loads of free time, and it was one of my favourites. It wasn't the way it was when I was a child, though. I only saw the movie when it came out, and there was no repeats of it. So uh, you know, I didn't get to, I got to see it only once. And wishing I could see them again and again, I would have watched uh, Pinocchio over and over. I loved the character. In fact, he was a little boy. And he turned he turned into a real live boy, which was a delightful idea. How was it going from this TV show to a movie? I mean, obviously, when you did the China film as well, it's it's very different to go around the world and do a film in different filming locations. How was it for you? Oh, it was, it was very nice. Uh, it was a lot of hard work. The uh, producer uh, uh, kind of uh, he was the director. And I guess I had a little problem with him. He really uh, wasn't as happy as he could have been. And he didn't get the fame since he created the show. He created, He really, if without him, Sesame Street probably wouldn't have turned out to be the show it is. And uh, he, he passed on already. But it was difficult for him because of uh, he, he really wanted to be deeply involved. In the, in the movie in China, when I had to rehearse the song, with a little girl, she then uh, we couldn't speak any English, and so the director insisted on singing it, uh, doing the song with her. I said, "But I'm going to be the one who sings it with her, and I, I, I not even get a chance to rehearse with her." Well, I'm I'm rehearsing with her. Yeah, but you're not playing him, so it, it was it, it all worked out very well. Was that quite difficult then on set? Quite did, was there a few times you disagreed on stuff, and was it quite frustrating? Well, it was just that I never, he never commented on whether I did a good job or not. So it was sort of a, I kind of worked solo without the help of him, very much. Was that what it was like working with Jim as well, knowing that he was so busy? No, Jim was Jim was most kindly, and if I if I was doing something wrong, he would never say no, 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 no. It would, when you open the mouth of the character, moment you hear a little bell. That, so I always had trouble getting into a song, but he wouldn't know because he helped me in the nicest way. And he was never, ever jealous with anybody. He, he uh, managed to be the most wonderful and creative genius I've ever known, and he was always constantly lovely to be with. Can you remember the very first time you met Jim? Because that must be something that must be yes, amazing. Yes, it, it was Yes, I first met him in 1962. Uh, he did. He met me then again in 1969 when we started the movie. No, it started the television show. So he he didn't create it. A lot of people think it was Jim's show. It wasn't. Although the Muppets, which uh, John Stone insisted had to be the puppets for the show, and uh, you know how well, you know a lot about the way the Muppets present themselves. They're wonderful. I had a chance to. Play the character with with the heart of the character. I think that was uh, something different than the uh, others were able to present them, of themselves. Something that is crazy is you've got this big happy bird that's quite lively and very energetic and quite positive most of the time. Will always find the positive in the negative. But then you played the complete opposite with Oscar. You were kind of this grouchy, angry, annoyed character. How how was it trying to switch between roles? Well, not, not a problem at all, because Oscar is, is the exact opposite of Big Bird. 
Big Bird would try carefully not to say anything that would make someone feel bad, whereas Oscar didn't mind that. <laughs> I, I, I think Oscar was very much like uh, what Jim had hoped for, uh, unlike the Big Bird. He didn't know Big Bird would become a sensitive character, and uh, I, Oscar is never sensitive, except for that what he really likes is the opposite of what I'd like. So I know just what he's like. He's the opposite of what I like. <laughs> I was just about to say, it must be really interesting and quite fun to play when he's nothing like yourself. Uh, yeah, I think it was very much fun. Uh, people often say to me, Oscar's the coolest character on television. I said, that's something else, because I was never cool in school. So to play a character, I've always identified a little bit with uh, the Happy Days, the guy who was, hey, you know. The Fonz, yeah. Yes, and I think that, uh, for, I've never met him, but uh, I was in a few shows, but never got to meet him, uh, the man who played the Fonz. And I think that he's probably had a lot of satisfaction uh, in doing it, because uh, that's with my uh, character. Uh, I play him in all these years, but uh, I know what he, what he's like, and he has brought coolness to me my life <laughs> that's amazing talking more about films are there films that made you want to be a, an actor or was there something that you grew up watching that made you want to become this character i don't think any of them that exist i couldn't imagine that i would do them but uh i really must say i had fun i i wanted to act i guess but i never put those into words so i could feel that if anybody say what do you want to do I'm always, uh, I'm a pretty good artist, and I, so I, I illustrate, I used to illustrate a lot of children's stories. So I w at first I was very more serious about uh, the drawing and uh, painting than uh, the television. And But uh, once, once I got the taste of performing on television, I got to really want to do it more. So now do you still spend quite a lot of time doing your artwork and painting? Yeah, I sell a lot of cartoons of uh, Oscar and Big Bird. I like to draw them in funny, so each picture is a little bit humorous. Only once in a while they've got a little portrait picture of them, you know, being uh, the great looking bird when he can look best. But often they're in a funny situation in the drawings, which is kind of fun. So I have fun drawing them. The thing is, Oscar, he's so, so disagreeable. However, I, I, I always try to correct people. Some say he's so, so mean. I said, actually, if you analyze him, he's not mean at all. He just kind of gets a kick out of making people frustrated. Or uh, uh, his negativism is uh, part of, I think, his enjoyment. That's amazing and a really uh, interesting way to look at the character. Yeah, I, I kind of like them. And uh, Oscar, I, I remember being one one show, Telly was, uh, wanted to be a grouchketeer and... Uh, the problem was that uh, Oscar gives out membership as to the Groschkatees very, very, very little. In this one story, uh, Telly wanted to be a Groschkatee, and he says, can I be join the, the Groschkatees? Well, you can be him for one day, not, not, per, not forever. He says, but first you have to do certain chores for me. And so Oscar sent him out on doing all kinds of chores. Finally, at the end of the day, he says, Oscar, do I have to keep doing any more? No, no, you don't have to. You've got, you've done it all, and now you'll, you're a grouchketeer. Here's your hat, which is a, a dustbin lid. 
I say that to con- convert it to rather than the English way of saying wastebasket or trash can. <laughs> trash can, yeah. <laughs> he says, but uh, give me the hat back now because I said just a grouch for a day, but the day is over. So give me this all back. And and the script called for him to say, oh, Oscar, you tricked me again, that kind of thing. But instead, the puppeteer played it like, oh, you said I'd be a grouchateer, and now I'm not. And I, he starts crying like a little boy. No, they said, that's a wrap, that's a cut of the end of the day. And he said, you can go home now. And so uh, I, I said, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to shoot, do this shot again because... Uh, that makes Oscar seem very cruel, and I don't want him to, you know, I mean, their disappointment can't be portrayed, so, you're like, oh, Oscar, and he starts to cry, and I said, you can't do that like that, and he says, if we, if we retape it, I'll do the same thing again, I said, that's not what this is in the script, you can't change the story like that, you're making, making Oscar seem crueler than he has ever been, so I went into the control room and spoke to the producer and I said I don't like the way it ended we gotta do it again she said no no it's a uh, that's the way it ends I said but it's not at all the script it makes Oscar seem very cruel he doesn't mind that the little telly who's supposed to be very young he doesn't see he always seems old to me uh, but uh, why do you uh, want to keep it like that I think we're going to just get repercussions and uh, so indeed we got letters people saying I didn't know Oscar. Oscar's very grouchy and irritable, but uh, he's not cruel. It was just sad. She said, I was wrong. I should have listened to you uh, because I got so many, we got so many letters about the, the story made Oscar very cruel, and uh, I certainly don't like that. Another place where the same person I spoke of before, John Stone, the producer, he said that I don't play him right. I never have. He conceived of uh, Oscar, he says, uh, that uh, Jim actually explained to where he got the voice. It was from a restaurant he went to almost every day. Jim Jim loved seafood, and it was Oscar's clam house, I think. It's right in New York City. He, he used to say he was so frustrated that I, I didn't do him right, didn't play him right, that I should have had him be uh, uh, meaner. And I don't like mean, and I don't think it was... I don't think he'd be as, as popular if he was mean, because he, he just is so matter-of-factly, no, I don't do it that way. So I, I like the way I played him. Was there any times that you did a take that you weren't happy with because you had to make him so mean, or did you always get your way? Uh, generally, I I had the control, because if I didn't really like the way it was written, I'd say it in Oscar's way. I changed the script a little bit, but uh, I'd follow the the storyline. But uh, so therefore, I didn't really. I had the ultimate control, and I could have. I could, but I can't control it if some other actor does something, like have him playing, like crying like a little boy. So I, I think that I won any overall. Good on you. Oh, thank you. You seem very positive about your time on Sesame Street and obviously getting to play these two massive iconic characters. Was there ever a time that you wanted to call it a day and walk away? No, I can't imagine walking away from Big Bird. That's why I've never looked for a better paying job. I don't think they'd last. No. Uh, the fact that it's almost 50 years 
I have a contract that will take me to 50 years of, of portraying those characters. And uh, I, th I think that any other direction would have ruined it. I don't think you could do a normal day job. I couldn't imagine you getting any satisfaction from working in another role. I think you were born to play this part, and that's it. Yes. You, you are Big Bird. I think so. I think you're, you're right. But uh, I, uh, I, I worked in two different factories before I made it. I, my father was not interested in uh, me going to art school. He said, artists always starve to death. And I, I said, you know, and I, I opened up a magazine. I said, you think this is a beautiful photo of the product? It was a Milky Way. And he says, it's a photo. I said, no, it's a, it's a drawing. They, he really look how much, how delicious the uh, chewy um, nougat is, in it, and also the caramel that's kind of dripping. I, I, he said, I said, there has to be people to do those. It, oh, they just take pictures. That's what he knows. Uh, at that time, almost all product, it's called product illustration. And uh, even car paint draw photos, they, they were idealized in a great deal in, in advertising. And of course, that would be my thing. I'd like to illustrate cars all my life. I loved cars. I had only one exotic car in my life. And I, when I sold that and rumbled out of the yard, I said, uh-oh. I just did, committed the worst mistake of my life. <laughs> it's a 1956 Thunderbird. Beautiful engine. I used to open the hood. How many times do you open a hood to, to show off your engine? You don't, because it's, you can't even see the engine anymore. Or they're covered with plastic pieces, and you hardly see. But the little T 56 T-Bird, it, uh, it had a tire on the back and portholes in the windows for, for side windows. And uh, it was just the most exotic car. It was white and uh, had side, had fender skirts, skirts, so it looked so exotic. And only two passenger, electric windows. It was wonderful. So, but I, I was talking to selling it so I could buy the Volkswagen Beetle from his him. He, and I shouldn't have listened to him because the Beetle was nothing but trouble. <laughs> You were talking then about your dad and when you were growing up, him saying, don't get involved in the arts, you know, it's not going to pay the way. It must have been amazing years down the line when you were one of the biggest well-known characters on TV. He must be so proud. Yes, uh, he, he was he was very proud of, of me and uh, it was pretty good, pretty nice. And I, I've, I've found a wonderful area of peace with him. Uh, he had a badge childhood he was kind of treated pretty rough and mean by his father and I, I i was too but i decided that when i grew up there'll be no temper tantrums for me i i've learned if i felt myself getting really angry i, I rather than get frustrated by it I, i'll just i said i'm going for a little walk i'll be see you will be it'll be a different thing when i come back i, I just will not i will not display this his his anger was awesome i remember one time somebody used up his shampoo he was very protective of his money <laughs> and he only bought a, a, a 10 cent bottle of shampoo this is back in the 40s and when uh, but so my mother wouldn't use she knew enough not to touch his stuff because there was so little a bottle of only two shampoos in it 
you know. So he uh, he stopped uh, feeling uh, as though he had to try to control my life. Later on, he said, "You, you know, look at the. I, I studied humans and that was drawing from the nudes, and uh, I don't know if they. I think a bathing suit would have worked, but uh, so. Uh, but it didn't bother me. The, the pretty girls up there, <laughs> and we were drawing from. But um, it, it wasn't anything sexy about it. No, because uh, a, a nude person, unless they're trying to be coy and." Uh, then it's not very sexy. I discovered just the day that in my art class that the uh, we were going to have a nude model. Uh, the guy you could just feel the uh, tension in the room only from the males. Although the girls in the class were like, "Oh, we'll make a big deal about it," but the guys were all excited. And as soon as she finally took off her robe. And she started. And we had to get buckle down and draw her in five minutes. She, we had to learn how to make people look like they're not stiffly drawn, but they're. But we had work to do. He wanted, and the artist, the art teacher, would come around and look over our shoulders. and he'd say, "The neck isn't straight up and down. The head leans forward, and it does." That, but that's one of the lessons of drawing humans in action. Their head is kind of jutting forward. You picture your head comes straight up off your body, yeah. but it doesn't. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, that's you know, there's so much to learn, and uh, I, I really, my work. For, I was the best kid in high, high school, but they wouldn't let me draw in the yearbook. They said, "Well, you've been drawing all through these years in the monthly publications, but uh, you. So we're going to draw the other." I said, "Well, okay." I was disappointed they wouldn't let me draw for the annual big book uh, for the seniors. So I, I didn't even get along very well, very happily with the uh, kids in the school, even though I, I, I gave the best show. I didn't even get an award because the, the teacher said, uh, the head principal said, for instance, on that uh, amateur show, uh, he said, uh, how long is the puppet show going to be? Well, my mother has written and built a, the puppets, co- costumed them. She was born in England. She was born in Bolton, England, in 1902, and had a terrible childhood. Because she only she had to leave there when she was uh, eight, and go to Britain, to to Canada with her aunt and uncle, and never saw her mother and father again. And had a, she was an unpaid scullery maid in Canada, and, they, and lived in, in a log cabin with a dirt floor, and almost froze to death. And uh, so she had a, but in England when they went back to, what uh, before she had to leave, she was living about three years in Cornwall, which is so beautiful, and I've never been there, but uh, she was awful. It was awful, but she knew she was going to be going to Canada, never be in England again. She she cried all the way in the train, all, all the way up to Manchester. That's sad. Yeah, she. It was my mother. She had, uh, and unfortunately, that her aunt had just had one child, a spoiled brat boy. And uh, I remember she, for one of his, his birthdays, they gave him a jackknife, a very sharp jackknife. She says, "Oh, oh I think that's going to cause me a lot of problems." Sure enough, he he whittled spears all the time. 
and out of tall, skinny, fast-growing little trees. And that he'd, he'd cut them down with his knife, and uh, they were only like an inch thick. And then whittled a point to it. And one day she was out playing with her. She had a beautiful doll given to her by a wealthy lady, and he just smashed it to the floor. Same day she got it because he he didn't get anything like that. So uh, he was just a littler kid, but he was nasty. He says, "Move! I'm going to throw the spear." And she says, "Don't throw that at me. You could hurt me. I don't care." He says, and he starts throwing, and she. She's playing with her doll. She will not leave alone. Don't go there. If she moved to another place, I'm going to throw the spear there. No matter where she went, you're going to throw the spear. And uh, finally, so I told you I was going to throw it, and he threw it, and it went right through her cheek and, and hit, stuck in her tongue. So guess who got punished? Her aunt, Deb, uh, my, Margaret's, uh, Margaret Fagan, her name was. They, and it's so funny because she... she being uh, English, some English don't care for the Irish, I found out through her aunt. And so my mother was taught all these things, oh, the, the, the Irish are so terrible. And uh, she she said, well, he told you to move, so it's your fault. You go up to your room, you're no, no dinner for you. She didn't even help her with a wound right through, so she had a huge dent in her cheek all the rest of her life. What a nasty kid. And I remember when he had a child, uh, he used to beat them with the garden hose including the brass pointy thing at the end. That was the guy she had to grow up with. It's like a brother. Some brother. There's some nasty people in this world. Yes, there are. One of them is my own brother. <laughs> <laughs> I had an old... I had my, the oldest boy was had uh, cerebral palsy because of the doctor. So he only lived to be 38. But uh, he built beautiful ships. See, see ships, I'm going to give them to a... A, uh, some museum that, that has ocean themes, you know, for ships. Yeah. My, my father had a different kind of mean upbringing. And, but my dad was had a huge temper, and I would often manage to know how to trigger it without intending to. And he, he would constantly, when, he almost beat me to death one day because I spilled some paint. And uh, it wasn't a big deal, it was just a little bit of paint. And he just, but he wanted to kill me. My mother had to take me to a neighbor's house to protect me. And when she finally brought me back into the house, I was only six at the time. He had already thrown me across the room and uh, swung me around by my one of my ankles and threw me under the gas stove, which had long, tall legs. And he, I tried to hide underneath the thing so he couldn't reach me. But he reached in, grabbed my leg, and pulled me out and threw me again with my, swinging me around like a, cat. So I decided at that time, when, as I was recovering from the damage, I, I decided I will never ever do that to my children if I have children. But I, I had a dog before we had children, and the dog was uh, husky. He liked cold, cold, cold days. It was 103 out, and it got hot inside the house too. So one time I couldn't get, if I, my art room, I was illustrating children's books for a little company. I had to put on the heat. It was so cold downstairs because partially underground. So the dog, I couldn't get the dog stop from whining or stop whining. So I tried to grab the bar, dog by his collar and take him down the stairs. It's actually a really pretty downstairs, and uh, but it's cool. A dog wouldn't come down, and I tried to chase the dog, and grab him. 
and he he was a good dodger. But I, I got so angry, I was jumping up and down and yelling, trying to kick him, and, and I, I never heard him once because I couldn't get near him. All of a sudden I said, listen to yourself. You sound like your father, getting angry over a very little thing. So I uh, stopped and said, Lord, don't let me ever display anger like that to a man nor beast. <laughs> and I never have. I've always just walked out of the room and uh, come back a little after I cool off a little bit. As bad as your father was to you and the way he treated you, maybe it's made you a much better person because you don't want to do those same mistakes. So you don't want to make those same mistakes. You don't want to ever be that abusive or cause anyone yes. the pain that he caused you. I think I think it caused... And I, eventually, uh, he lived to be almost 91. And uh, I, I said to him when he was in his late 80s, I said, you're a wonderful dad. You've always been a wonderful dad to me. He said, son, I think you have a very poor memory. I think that's his way of apologizing. Yeah. And my, my wife, Deb, had convinced me that he's not that way anymore. So therefore, forgive him. It took me a long time to forgive him. That six thing, event took place when I was five or six. Getting sl- thrown around and uh, stripped naked so he could spank you without any cloth softening the blows. It was kind of a, it was a hard childhood at times. Because, and, and what was frustrating was that at times he would uh, be such a sweet, love, loving dad. And then all of a sudden the same day might be, uh, I'm getting cuffed in the head because he's got angry. It's nice to know that before he passed, you kind of buried the hatchet and got to kind of accept his apology, even though it was a funny way of saying yeah. sorry. I Yes, I, I, it was, because I, I think eventually he thought I was a pretty nice son. At times they had a little hard time. He worked at a factory his whole life. They, they needed a little money, so I, I started giving them money every month until they finally said, you don't have to give me any money anymore. I'm, he had invested carefully. He only had factory money, and he made as little as 60 cents an hour in the early days of... So it was hard, but uh, I think he turned out to be a lovely man. Hey, he was the father of <laughs> Big Bird. It, it's, he must be very proud. Yes, you know, it was kind of funny. Uh, sometimes he would go to... Uh, we'd, we'd drive over on, on, a, on a Wednesday and uh, put him, my mom and dad in the car and I'd take them to the, to the supermarket where they could shop for the week. And uh, so, but I, he, I gave him a whole stack of colorful postcards of Big Bird, and uh, he would be walking around in the store. If he'd see somebody with children riding in the in the food carriage, or down in New Zealand they call them uh, trundler, trundlers, <laughs> my father would say, I'm, you know, here, here he was, in his mid late late eighties, and he's saying, uh, "I'm I'm the daddy of Big Bird," and they these old people look like great grandparents, and uh, <laughs> they're t- saying, uh, "We're we're Big Bird's grand grandma, gra- grandma and grampy." Of course, they were. No, I think they would even say that they were uh, mom and dad. We're we're Big Bird's mother, mother and father, and the little kid wouldn't. Oh, what the heck they were talking about? Because here's these old people saying, and he didn't look like they didn't look like any parents to a bird. 
So, but I, he he got, ended up being very happy that I had gotten such a job. Just before you go, I just want to finish. So, looking back on your kind of life as Big Bird, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from being that character and basically letting it become you? I remember one time I, I had a big motorcycle and I, I, I took a ride up into Maine, which is a beautiful, uh, different state than Massachusetts. And it was kind of very uh, funky and old-fashioned. And so I remember I was coming down the stairs of a, a little wooden factory, the place that was called L.L. Beans. They sold beautiful boots and things for farmers. I come down the stairs, I'm wearing a helmet and a black faceplate to, to protect my face. And I was wearing a... a, 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 a I was all dressed in denim. But I think I was looked a little. I was had boots on. I think the little girl took one look at me and she screamed, she had to scream, and run away. And, and it was I, I frightened her. And I thought that was kind of ironic since I had become very famous as Big Bird. And I, I said, if she knew who I was, she would, she'd be confused, but probably wouldn't be so frightened. But I, I had to accept the fact that I, I did not appear to, as Big Bird, and he was so beloved. Children want to hug him. He's all real. He's covered with real feathers. He has 6,000 feathers on his body. Wow. And uh, and so he's quite a beautiful thing, even though he's funny looking. Uh, he's, he, people identify he's an easy to accept character. I've been asked by journalists, doesn't it frustrate you that Big Bird is very famous and nobody knows you at all? I said, no, I think overall that's more of an advantage than a disadvantage because I think you don't really want to be famous all the time. And you can choose when to put the outfit on or when to take it off. Yes, and or if I just all I have to say that if somebody says, "What do you do for a living?" Well, I play a bird. Hello. You're <laughs> big. They say, you're, you're, say I have the joy of having see, people say, "I'm meeting Big Bird, the real one," and I say, I can't even believe this. So uh, that was kind of fun. So I want you to talk to me as Big Bird a bit more because it's just amazing to listen. Sir, I, I, I think I'm... St- Do you know how old I'll be at ni- my next birthday? I'll be six. Well, how old are you now? I'm six. I have this fun... It's bird, bird years, you realize. That doesn't make much sense. I know. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Halloween. On, on Halloween, I'm going to be a, a, our favorite chef. It's a restaurant we go to every week. And uh, he, I, he, he, half the time... Prince, I have uh, some of my favorite dishes. It's they charge only ten dollars for it, and uh, because he's just a good friend, and uh, not that I couldn't afford thing, but he you know, and my wife pays full full price. <laughs> <laughs> Big Bird gets discount. Yeah, because it's all the same money. I really appreciate your time, and I hear you have to go now. So I just wanted to say thank you very much, and it's fascinating talking to you. Of course. Well, I really enjoyed your, and your questions are very good. I'm glad I got to talk about the sensitive side of Big Bird, too. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking with you. Goodbye, Mark. Bye-bye. <laughs> Anything to say, Oscar? Yeah, yeah. Have a rotten day. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. So there it is. There's the interview with the man himself. A very, very honest interview with lots of great stories. I really was beaming and smiling most of the way through that interview, but at times I... 
it pulled on my heartstrings. I really felt a lot of different emotions, just like when I watched the documentary. Now, as I said earlier, the whole reason this came around was for me watching this documentary. So I do ask you all to spend some time, go on Netflix, go on Amazon and buy it, go wherever you can and get this I Am Big Bird documentary because it's absolutely fantastic. I don't think anyone out there couldn't enjoy such a well-made documentary. I also want to thank the man himself, Carol Spinney, for taking the time to talk to me. It's an absolute pleasure to conduct interviews that are so positive and it didn't even feel like any sort of work at all. I also want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to this podcast and also the, all the love and support you've given me for the last couple of episodes. It sounds a bit like I'm quitting. I'm not, this isn't an end speech. I just want to say thank you because the response I've got for the first couple of episodes of Mark and Me with Kevin Smith and Corey Feldman has been phenomenal. I never thought I would get those sort of numbers and those sorts of response on Twitter and Facebook. So thank you very, very much for taking the time to listen. I've been really busy over Christmas making sure I've got lots of guests to speak to and the next episode really will blow most of your minds. I still don't believe at this moment it really happened but the guest I'm going to speak to really is, well I'm not going to spoil it, it's just wow. So please stick around for that in a couple of weeks time. I suppose I should give you a bit of a clue. Um, Let's just say if you're going to listen to this episode I suggest you invite a few friends over for dinner. And that's all I'll say for now. But thanks again for tuning in to this episode. Like I said, Stuart will be back in a couple of weeks' time for episode four. Until then, take care, and I'll speak to you all soon. Oh, oh, one more thing. Sesame Street was brought to you today by the letter P. <laughs> oh, and by the number two. <laughs> Sesame Street